I'm a huge planner. So whenever my wife, Radhi and I would go on our adventures, I'd meticulously plan out our itineraries and book our accommodations in advance. It's like a yearly tradition that we do. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to every step of the way. Whether I want to be a simple guy nestled in the countryside or be the stylish and modern guy in the heart of the city, Booking.com never fails to offer a wide range of options that perfectly suit your preferences and they have everything you need to turn your travel dreams into reality, offering accommodations here in the US. Plus, the ease of booking through the app makes the whole process a breeze. So trust me when I say, when it comes to planning unforgettable getaways, Booking.com is where it's at. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com. Booking.yeah. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Ninety thousand hours. That's approximately how much time an individual will dedicate to work in their lifetime. That's why it's more important than ever to partner with UKG, a company fully dedicated to helping you create a great place to work. With HR, pay, time and culture solutions, UKG is the only partner that delivers the tools and insights your employees need no matter who they are, where they work or what they do. See what UKG can do for your business and your people at ukg.com backslash great. UKG, our purpose is people. There's a lot of talk about mindfulness these days, which is fantastic. I mean, we all want to be more present and self-aware, more patient, less judgmental. We discuss all these themes on the podcast, but it's hard to actually be mindful in your day-to-day life. That's where calm comes in. I've been working with calm for a few years now with the goal of making mindfulness fun and easy. Calm has all sorts of content to help you build positive habits, shift your self-talk, reframe your negative thoughts, and generally feel better in your daily life. So many incredible options from the most knowledgeable experts in the world, along with renowned meditation teachers. You can also check out my 7-minute daily series to help you live more mindfully each and every day. Right now, listeners of On Purpose get 40% off a subscription to Calm Premium at calm.com forward slash j. That's C-A-L-M dot com forward slash J-A-Y for 40% off. Calm your mind, change your life. My whole life now revolves around what I've achieved on the court, but then if I could do it again, I wouldn't ever want to pick up a racket. He's one of the greatest players in the world. Winner of seven tour singles title. Nick Kyrgios. I literally wanted to end my life, and now I'm just here and enjoying it. So everything's just, it's all a bonus. Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to invite you to join this community to hear more interviews that will help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. All I want you to do is click on the subscribe button. I love your support. It's incredible to see all your comments, and we're just getting started. 
I can't wait to go on this journey with you. Thank you so much for subscribing. It means the world to me. The best-selling author and host. The number one health and wellness podcast. On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the place where we have culturally impacting conversations. I am so grateful to each and every one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. And you know that ever since I was a teenager, I've been captivated by people's stories and journeys. I'm fascinated by decisions people make, their personalities, their psychology. And today's guest is someone that I've been admiring from afar for such a long time. And so to have him in the studio today is a true honor and true joy. I love diving into the minds of people that define culture, divide culture, direct us in different ways, surprise us and give us the unexpected. And today's guest has been doing that ever since his career began. I'm talking about the one and only Nick Kyrgios, who burst onto the pro tennis scene in 2012 after a prolific junior tennis career. Since Nick's start, he has captivated fans with a larger-than-life personality, passion for the game, and unpredictability. Nick electrifies the tour with his near-unstoppable serve and powerful forehand. Nick has won seven singles titles and four doubles titles in his career, but 2022 marked the first time Nick displayed his dominance, making it to his first Grand Slam final, winning three singles titles and three doubles titles, Welcome to the show, Nick Kyrgios. Nick. What an intro. It's so, you had to live it, man. You, you had to do it. You feel good. I like that. I like That's probably the best intro I've ever had. Really? Yeah. No, oh, I that like means it. the world to me, man. I like that. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. I was excited. I appreciate that, man. When we were messaging back and forth for the past couple of weeks, yep. I was really looking forward to this because as I was saying to you earlier, I don't love rules myself. And people don't often see me as that. I think people see me as someone who follows the rules and is thoughtful and mindful. And I actually feel that my entire career, I've had to go against the trend and against the grain. Yep. And watching you do it has been really exciting and fascinating. And at sometimes it can be uncomfortable to watch that as well. But today we get to pull back. Unravel it we all. Get, yeah, we get to dive in. So I wanted to start off. There's so many things I want to talk about. What I'll start off with is externally, you've had what looks like a love-hate relationship with tennis. Yep. And at this point, you're injured. You've been away from the game. Yep. I'm intrigued to understand how has your relationship with the game changed when you haven't been able to play it? This is a tough one for me because when I step away from the sport for so long, I actually don't miss it. So that's scary for me. You know, most athletes, when they get pulled away from their sport injury or take time off, they're like really hungry to get back with me. It's like I've always kind of known that life has so many so many cool things about it, you know, and tennis, you know, we're traveling seven, eight months a year. I barely see my family, my friends. And during this time, it's like, I get to see, spend time with my partner more, my family, do all these things that I've been missing out on. It's like, wow, this, my life's amazing now. But, you know, I do miss playing tennis a bit. You know, it's all I've ever known since I was seven years old. You know, my family loves it. You know, all my friends, you know, know me as Nick Kyrgios tennis player. So I do miss it a little bit, but at the same time, I've, I've really enjoyed the time off. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. It's good to good for the honesty, yeah, I think. Yeah. You know, like people people forget that we're human and yep. we need a break sometimes. What's your earliest childhood memory that you think has defined who you are today? Well, I hated tennis when I was young. So, you know, I was very chubby, overweight as a kid, and my mum kinda she was like, Okay, we gotta get you doing some 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 sport or be active. So she dragged me down to the local tennis courts and I remember I was crying all day, hated it, didn't want to be there. 
Anyway, I gave it a chance for like, you know, a couple of weeks, couple of months. And the coach was like, oh, he's picking it up pretty quickly. And then that was, I guess that was a defining moment because ever since that coach said that, it's like my father and my mom put everything into tennis. You know, they sacrificed, you know, my dad and my mom had nothing growing up. And I guess they kind of saw me as the person in the family to to eventually, you know, try and make it and, and help and help them out and help the family out. So look, tennis was, it was such a, interesting journey you know I never thought I was 17 18 still in school and people were telling me you could really do something I never took myself seriously enough to one day be on the tour beating people like Djokovic Nadal Federer it was just never in my mind and then all of a sudden it just happened and my life changed it's like I have big imposter syndrome like I'm sitting here I watch you my bed in my house in Canberra I'm watching you and then now all of a sudden I'm here having a conversation like that's just for me it's crazy well, dude, I feel the same with you. <laughs> I'm watching you play all the major tournaments and watching you on Breakpoint, and I still have to pinch myself that I get to do this. So the feeling is very mutual, and I want Appreciate you to know that too. Like, and, and, you know, a big part of that for me watching you is I think, and I chose not to introduce you this way, but I think a lot of people would introduce you as the bad boy of tennis. How does that title make you feel today? Yeah, it's been hard. That's one thing the media's done. They've branded me as, you know, I don't know, like I'm I'm crazy, I'm a bad boy, but my family and my closest people know that I'm quite generous, I'm quite caring, I'm intellectually switched on, I like having deep conversations and I I try my best to make other people feel comfortable. Like I know what it's like to be overweight, insecure, like I, I love when I see kids that are a bit like, I guess myself at a younger age, I love that. I go up to them, I make them feel look, if I can do it, you can do it. So that's been one of the hardest things in my career is like everyone I meet thinks that I'm just a you know a bad person. I've got crazy tempo, but then off the court, I'm, it's like a complete opposite person. And it's been really, really hard to shake that. And it's taken years. Like only now I feel like people kind of understand how I am on the court and how I am off the court, but it's been, it's been hard. How early did that title set in? Like that idea of Nick Kyrgios meltdown again, Nick Kyrgios break, yep. breaks a racket, like whatever, like how early did that set in and how did that impact it? Um, probably the first couple of years I was on tour um, and that was almost 11 years ago and it's been an uphill battle ever since. You know, everyone thinks that I'm that type of person, but it's like I've gone through my whole life trying to prove to people that that's not me and it's been really hard. Like all the media backlash, the negativity, all the negativity on my family, my partner, like it's not, it hasn't been so easy to navigate. Um, but I think getting older and growing through it and getting thick skin, I've kind of given up trying to, you know, make everyone understand who I am because it's exhausting and it's, I don't think it's possible. Everyone's going to have their opinions, but it's taken a toll. Like I'm definitely a bit tired of being branded that. And it's sad in a way because people only really want to get to meet me, to meet that side of me, which is not how I actually am as a person. How much of it early on was self-inflicted versus was that just you trying to deal with the pressure and the stress? Like, why did that? I've So I've met you just now. Yep. You're smiling. You're yep. easy to be around. Yep. You're chill. You're cool. When we were messaging, I was telling my team, I was like, this guy seems like one of the nicest guys. Yep. Like, so, everything you just said. Yep. But then when someone watches you on the court or watches you in a press interview, you could be intimidating how much of that became a persona you felt you ended up playing versus where did it actually start? Was it that you were stressed and there was pressure or? Well, I guess, yeah, when I'm on court, I turn into a different person. Like I love competing and it's like, I hate losing. And I guess when I, even when I was a younger 
kind of kid on the court. I always carried my emotions. I would cry on court. I would scream. I would just, I'd love to compete and hate to lose. And I guess I never changed. Like whether it's me now, I don't cry on court now, but I still am very emotional. And I just, it just shows how much I care. I feel like it was a way for me to outlet the pressure, you know, get angry or smash a racket. But the thing is, tennis can go for four or five hours. A match can go for four or five hours. And then for that small snippet of time, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, I'm losing my, losing my mind. And that's all they're showing. Like if you just show 30 minutes of a four-hour match, then everyone's going to assume, oh, that's how he's carrying on for four hours. Like the majority of the time I'm well-behaved, great competitor, respecting my opponent. And then I look, I turn on, you know, say the TV, it's just me smashing the rack. And I'm like, I can't control that. And it's been, it's been hard. Like most of the time I am how I am now, but it's, it's been a tough one. Yeah. You were saying, I've, I've watched how you talked about how it's impacted you. It's impacted how people communicate with your girlfriend, yep. like the kind of backlash that you receive. Yep. What has been the, the darkest, hardest period of dealing with that, whether it may be a media narrative or uh, fans reaching out, whatever it may be. Yeah. In 2019 was, I've opened up about the, some of the darkest periods of my life. And I just, it was so accessible, all these negative comments. You know, you go on your phone now, you open up social media, Instagram, Twitter, all this. And I just see millions of messages that were negative, negative about my family, like just things that I feel like I didn't ever really listen, listen to, but they just went into the back of my mind and, and subconsciously they're just there. And then when things start happening, you're like, maybe they're right. You start doubting yourself. And I feel like that's what I fell into. It was like, mm. oh, maybe they are right. And then I started feeling really negatively about myself and I started all these bad habits happening and it was it was impossible for me to deal with i was 19 at the time when this all started happening and i wasn't prepared for such a i guess such a hard time like i was just enjoying myself i had normal friends and then i went from being in school to now being on the global stage in the spotlight and it was just impossible for me to deal with i never really dealt with it uh in a healthy way at all yeah you talked about in breakpoint about drugs alcohol isolating yourself yep. you talk about even considering attempting suicide yep. and then we hear that you locked into a psych ward but we don't really realize what you went through like walk us through what it felt like to be nick kyrgios in 2019 yeah, it's just a i think about those times and i don't necessarily feel sad about him or happy about him it's just that, that part of my life is over and it's just a mess like i think about that time i just was not thinking clearly i was drinking every night, you know, just at the, at the time I thought it was just fun, but it wasn't fun. It was just self-inflicted pain. And I was, had friends around me telling me it wasn't healthy and I ignored them. And then I found myself going to a psych, psychiatric ward in London and I had to play Nadal the next day. And these are the things like everyone would assume that I was doing fine. I was answering questions and they told me that I should stay in this psychiatric ward for two weeks and be re reassessed. And I was playing Nadal the next day. It's like, I, I looked at myself, I was like, I, I can't do this. I have to somehow change these habits. So and I had self-harm everywhere. I had to wear an arm sleeve on the on center court of Wimbledon. And no one knew any of these problems. And it was, it was hard. And I look back and I just don't know how I neck like got out of it, to be honest. I was such a mess. And the worst thing was the media, I was having decent results during that time. And the media was like, okay, is this a new Nikiros? Is this the Nikiros? And I was like, this is the darkest period of my life. There was a tournament in Mexico, Acapulco, where I was thinking about, I was having suicidal thoughts and, you know, I was just on the balcony of my hotel and I was genuinely thinking about it. And my team was like, all right, we've got to play in 10 minutes. Ended up going out on court, played amazing, won the tournament. And everyone globally was thinking, wow, is this the person that we've all been waiting for? 
when I was really on the brink of, of everything. And that's so scary because no one else knew what was going on. It was really hard. I mean, that paradox of yeah. feeling that way and then having to play the biggest games and then even winning some of them, yeah. but then feeling that way when you're off court again. Yeah. That sounds like one of the most difficult, like just, just listening to you right now, I'm listening to that going, I was just putting myself in that position thinking you're sitting, standing there at the balcony. Like I can't imagine what's going through your mind. How did you break through that? Like how did, how was that not the end? Because I feel there's so many people listening right now who might be feeling like you were yeah. then. And I want you to talk to them. I want them to hear you right now because I want this to be the message that they say that got me through it. Um, just everyone, I felt like I was very selfish at that time. It was, I was always giving into my feelings, which were, they were probably valid, but I felt like I was playing just based on how I felt. And then I looked back at millions of fans that I have and that I, you know, for instance, there was a make a wish kid that I met up with a week and a half ago. He's probably got six months to live. And then I realized that those types of people that look up to me and really want me to succeed, that's who I started playing for. So family, these like kids, the, the future generation, that's. The reason why I probably would have retired and probably stopped playing you know, a couple of years ago if, if I just kept playing on how I was feeling. But then I realized I've got a whole contingent of fans on why they want to see me succeed. So that's why I love playing now. Like I play for them, but that's what got me out of it. I started feeling like I've got a lot more to give. Not, not for me. Like I've already proved myself that I can play tennis, but for all those people out there, like if I can do it, like you look at Djokovic, Federer and Adal, like these people are gods in my eyes. Like they're super professional. Djokovic takes care of his diet daily. I was not doing any of these things and still getting to that level. So I think if just the inspiration for other people got me out of that. But it was really those times up. And there are definitely times now where I think about those moments and I'm, I, get, I still get a bit emotional on it. Like Breakpoint obviously showed interviews with my, my sister and my father and my best friend and they break down into tears and that just shows how emotional that time was because they could just see me spiraling out of control. And I, I hadn't, I didn't think it was okay to just step back and not play. I, I kept thinking I had to force myself to get out there. Yeah, it definitely was traumatizing. How much did it mean to you that they stood by you? Yeah, I mean, I probably owe them my life, to be honest. You know, they were standing by me through reckless behavior. And that's what I'm, everything, that's what I mean. Like people now, I go on social media and they're like, oh, you're a waste of talent or why are you not playing or why are you not doing this? And I'm, everything I'm doing now is just a bonus. Like being here speaking to Jay Shetty for me, is just, that's like a, it's like all a bonus. Like every day, I, I just don't think about the past. I don't think about the future. I just live every day, day by day. And I just, everything I'm doing now is just a bonus. Like, cause I was so, so depressed and so sad. And like, I literally wanted to end my life. And now I just, I'm just here and enjoying it. So yeah. everything's just, it's all a bonus. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to live. Yeah, it is. To know it that, is. yeah, it's a beautiful mindset to yep. live in. Just stay, I just stay on my feet. I don't think about the past or I don't, I'm not a big planner anymore because I just don't know anything can be taken away just like that. Yeah. I mean, I think listening to you, it's so interesting, right? When we have views on athletes, especially where we're like, oh, you could have been this yep. and you could have been the next greatest and you could have been whatever it may be. And the challenge is you have no idea what that person's going through. You have no yep. idea what's worrying that person. And I think everyone almost projects their own insecurities onto everyone else where we also feel like we have so much potential that never got seen, yep. that never got untapped. 
And to almost live in the way you're living now, which is like, I'm already living in bonus land. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that in so many ways in my life where I am able to do things today that I couldn't even have imagined as a kid. And we yep. can actually, we have a lot in common growing up because I was, and I heard you say this and I felt the same way. I was, the, I was a short brown fat kid yep. growing up at school. Yep. And so when you talked about that in Breakpoint, I felt exactly the same way where yep. I was bullied for it. Yep. I was beaten up for it. I was criticized for it. And when I look at my life today, I'm like, I get to do things that I didn't ever think were possible. Yep. So I'm already living in bonus world. And you're so grateful for it. So grateful for it. Yep. So grateful for it beyond. And whether I reach the potential, what people think I should do or whether I don't, I'm already living in that gratitude. Yep. With you, when you're playing at the top level and there is that feeling, so when you find out you're gonna make it, you've made it through to the final of Wimbledon, yep. walk me through what the feeling is when you know like I've made it through to the final of Wimbledon, like yep. which is the biggest stage, the biggest moment, you've made it through. What does that feel like? I was laughing inside. Like I was, I had Novak Djokovic behind me, uh, the royal family watching me play and there's like guards there and I'm just like thinking to myself, I, I don't, this shouldn't be me. Like the way that everything had panned out, it was like, I just thought it was all a joke. I was like, this is incredible. How, how am I here in this moment in time? And yeah, I was, I was walking out to the court and I just, yeah, like it's like every single thing that I'd gone through, training, family sacrifice, it all, that's the one time in my life where everything made sense. Everything made sense. Every gym session, conditioning session, every good meal I decided to eat was all equal to that moment in time. And it's like, I didn't sleep the night before. And then as soon as I stepped on court, all those feelings went away. It was like, okay, I'm now I'm home. And then I, I lost the match, but I played incredible. It was a great final, but I just remember seeing the doors open real slowly and I saw every blade of grass the same length. And I just walked out there and it was just like home. And then that was it. I just, I'm not disappointed that I lost the match. Obviously I would love to have a Wimbledon crown, but it was all a bonus. Like the fact that I was just walking out, Novak's behind me, the Royal family's there. like. Nick Kyrgios making it that far, ridiculous. When I hear you speak, you speak like every, almost like real, it's almost like that childlike feeling yeah. of like you're still living in that childlike moment or yep. childlike feeling of what that would have felt like, where sometimes we grow up too soon yep. and we almost can't experience it that way. Like when you just said you saw every blade of grass being the same, yep. like even that mindfulness, like watching the doors, the yep. fact that you can visualize it, yep. It means you were so present. What goes through your mind during the game when it's not going your way? Like what happens when you start losing a point or when you know you could have made something you didn't like? What's going through your mind at that time? Just competing, like just trying to get the best out of myself. Like I guess people when they watch me play, like why do you get so angry? It's like there's millions of dollars on the line, so many hours of work put in and I'm just trying to like do the best I can in that moment of time. Like people, when they see me, I guess, getting angry or doing whatever, they're like, oh, he doesn't care. It's like, I think I care too much at times on the result. And coaches always tell me like, don't care about the result too much. But in my life, in my experience, if you don't win at the end of the day, I wouldn't be here. If I, if I didn't win majority of tennis matches, I wouldn't be sitting here. So I know the importance of winning, but at the same time, I guess I just, I'm just so involved in every little bit of effort's been, I know my, my family's effort, my support crew, I want everyone in my team to feel that I care the most. I want like success for all of us. Not, I don't care about just me. Like 
my physio's there, my partner's there, my best friend, my agent. Like we're, we're all contingent. And that's why I guess I love the team environment a little bit more. Yeah. But tennis is, people just think, oh, you're, you're on your own out there. But it's like, there's so much more than just me. Like everyone's put so much work in to get here. So your anger is actually your care. Exactly. I wanted to win Wimbledon. So then like my whole team like can share that with me. I, I don't really care. Like I actually don't really care. And I, I wanted to win Wimbledon so I could just shut everyone up and so I could be just left alone. So if I'm at home and I'm actually having a beer or I'm just chilling, people will just, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, I won Wimbledon. Like, you can't tell me anything. You're in like, you're immortal in that tennis world, you know? Yeah. Like I made the final and people still criticize me. I feel like if I'd won that, maybe it would stop. So you feel like when you're playing, yep. you're trying to win because you feel so many people have invested in you yep. and so many people believe in you, yep. the people that you care about. Yeah. And that you almost want to win for them. Yes. And to shut everyone else up as well. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> I'm excited to see you go on and win a few. Like I, I, I think you have the potential and the ability and, you know, the mindset to go and do it. But when you go and win, you know as well as I do that, that still won't shut people up. I know that. <laughs> you I know. know that. I just, it's just false hope, I guess. What is that false hope? Walk me through that because I think that's real. I think we all feel, right, this is, this is, this is the hypothesis. We all feel that there's something we can do that will finally convince people of who we are. And we're all waiting in our own way to do that thing. For you, it may be a game of tennis. Yep. For someone else, it might be a promotion. For someone, it will be graduating with a particular degree. Yep. For me, it will be interviewing someone, whatever. Like we all have that thing where we think, when I do this, then people will say I made it. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. I feel like if people really understood my journey, then they wouldn't be so pushy, I think. And like if I just sat down with all my haters and we had like a nice meal together and I gave them my side of the story, I think they'd have a better understanding and they wouldn't be so like, they wouldn't criticize or be so like aggressive towards me on social media or just in general. So I feel like maybe if I do win Wimbledon and like it's, I was so close and I don't even really love the sport. Like I'm only doing this because... I love taking care of my family, my, my people, and I want to do this so I can prove that no matter how much more of an underdog you are, you can achieve something like winning Wimbledon. Like that's, I never thought in my mind that I would be capable of doing that. And I, look, maybe you are right. I know that even if I did that, people are going to be like, all right, now do it again. And it's just like, that's, I guess that's the rat race of, of life. You know, how much is enough? And I feel like I'm very content with my life. I have more than enough to enjoy and, so if it was up to me, I, I probably wouldn't, I don't really want to play anymore, to be honest, but I, I have to almost, I've got so much more to give, but for me, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't feel like playing anymore. <laughs> and that's not your way of taking the pressure. No, off. it's not no, like no. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And you know, I have had three surgeries now that you know, I'm only 28 years old. I always wanted to be able to have a family and, and not be in pain. When, when I get up, I can't walk without pain. So it's, it's a tough gig. It's tough. I appreciate the realness because. It's that, you know, there's a couple of things that come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind for me is always, I'm a Cristiano Ronaldo fan through yep. and through. Like, yep. I'm, if anyone asks me CR7 or Messi, yep. I'm CR7 all yep. the way. He's the example for me of you can achieve everything. Yep. And there'll still be 50% of people. Who think that someone else is better. Yeah, someone else is better. And not even just better. They think you're not even in the yep. conversation. Like there's a 50% of people who will be like, well, CR7 doesn't even make it into the top two conversation. Yeah. 
And it's bizarre that you can even feel that way. And so that, I look at it through that perspective where I'm like, this guy's won everything. Yep. He's inspired pretty much every next generation of football players yep. in the world. Yet there are people who have an issue with him mm. and blows my mind. And then at the same time, what you're talking about, the reality, I appreciate you saying I'm exhausted. It's hard. You know, I remember a interview that Vanessa Bryant did, Kobe Bryant's wife, and she talked about how the only thing that got Kobe to play when he was injured or having an injury during a game was his love for the fans. Yep. And he would say that this fan paid to see me play. Yep. And if I don't play today, then that fan may never be able to afford to play again. And so yep. I have to play. Mm -hmm. And so he was playing for beyond him. It wasn't, oh, I've got to play because I've got to win another ring. Yep. It's really interesting to hear an athlete say, I'm tired, it's a tough gig, it's hard. Because I think we almost want to believe that the best athletes don't feel that. But that's not true. No, it's not true. And I guess that period in 2019 kind of accelerated my exhort. Like if I had a bit of a normal career and I flew under the radar, I don't feel I'd feel this way. But those couple years really, I think, put a lot on my age. Like I'm 28, but I feel like you know, I've traveled to pretty much every country. I've seen cultures, you know, I was traveling to countries when I was 13 and I saw what, you know, poverty was like. It really opened my eyes. And I guess those couple years accelerated my, almost pushed me to the end of my career a bit earlier because I was just, I felt that way. And I was so eternally hurting that I, I had to play for more than myself. And that's why now I do, I'm exhausted when I train. I'm like, I just, I don't want people to watch this and say, okay, soft or whatever, but it's just like, it's just hard. Like I am tired. I'm, I'm tired of playing tennis. Like it's, it's more than going out last year, had the best year of my career. And I'm playing in front of millions of people. Stadium is packed out. Everyone's eyes on me. I, I don't know if I'm an athlete loves that, but I'm a bit to that. I feel like a circus animal a little bit. I walk out there and like, oh, we just want to see Kyrgios do something crazy. Like I'm sick of kind of playing that role. I'm sick of playing. Like I have to turn to completely different person. And I don't like that. It's exhausting. Do you think when you come back, how are you trying to figure out how you'll approach it differently? Have you thought about that? Well, I think now I'm, I've kind of come to peace with, I only want to play for about another one to two years and, and be at the top and, and go out on my own terms. Like I would hate to have another surgery or anything like that. So I think I've still got the ability to have a good one to two years and then that's it. I think I'll be at peace with everything I've achieved. And you're right, I'm going to have to just say, look, to everyone out there who wants me to play more, you're just going to have to be okay with me not playing anymore. Yeah. Well, people are trying to figure out whether you'll be playing in December. Yeah. You're obviously, like you said, you're in pain even when you stand up. Yep. Like, how do you deal with that anxiety of like, people want me to play in December. I don't even know if I'll be better yet. Yep. Do I enter? How do you navigate it's that? It's hard because, you know, I'm going to the gym, I'm doing my rehab. You know, you might have something seriously wrong with your body and it takes time. Like, we're only, I'm only human. I'd love to be like a Novak or someone that just is always healthy almost. It seems that way, but it takes months and months of, you know, strength, consistency, diligence to get back to playing tennis at that high level again. Like, I don't want to get back on tour and just play decent. I, I was competing for Grand Slam, so I want to get back to that level. So it might take, you know, a bit more time. Yeah. I want to go back a few things when you were saying like, if you could take all your haters out for dinner and, mm. and hang with them. So imagine we were at dinner yep. and all the haters are here right now. What do you want them to know about you to understand you deeply? If you could say three things to them 
to understand you more deeply and intently, what would you genuinely at the heart want them to know if if we had the floor with them right now? I guess I would I would want to listen to them more. I'd be like, why do you dislike me so much? Because I feel like when I'm reading all these comments, they really truly don't like me. And I feel like I don't dislike anyone that I don't know. Like I just think it's ridiculous to have an opinion or or that person's this one. I have no idea who they are or how they are. So I would just ask them like, why do you dislike me so much? And then I would make them open up. And then I guess, because I think, for instance, I use my girlfriend as an example. So my reputation in Australia is like arrogant. He's crazy. He's volatile. And having those three things, when you're meeting a person for the first time, they're probably three pretty rough things to like already assume of someone. So I had to prove every time I meet someone new, I have to kind of prove to them that's not me. And so and I, t I asked her, what was the first three things you came to mind? And then she told me those three things. And so that's how everyone in the world that hasn't met before assumes I am. And that's, that's pretty brutal. Like how those three things are, they're terrible. I, I don't hang around with one person that is arrogant or volatile or crazy. So I think, and she just spent time like two times with me. And then she's like, you're like completely different to how the media paints you out to be. So I guess every hater th just thinks I'm like that. I'm assuming. So I would just try and prove that I'm not like that. But it's, it's, it's so hard. This segment about inspiring creativity is brought to you by AT&T. AT&T believes connecting changes everything. When we talk about innovation in the workplace, there is this misconception that notifications and the constant stimulation from technology hinder creativity. But research suggests that being connected digitally, in fact, enhances your creativity and productivity at work. Personally, I'm a big believer in having various modalities of communication. It's like finding that perfect mix between getting stuff done and having a good time doing it. When we've got all these ways to chat, it's not just about the serious stuff, it's about adding some fun. And you know that mix of work and play, it's like a magnet, pulling everyone in. It's not just about sharing ideas, it's about laughing together and feeling like a real team. It's like finding a treasure chest of ideas while making our team bond stronger. And the best part, when people feel happy at work, it changes everything. They're not just working, they're truly engaged. You see smiles, hear laughter and feel this positive vibe. It's like everyone's working together towards success. And that kind of environment is a win-win for both the company and its employees. And here is how staying up to date with colleagues through apps and products can boost creativity in the workplace. You can set the stage for effective brainstorming sessions by using a blend of resources like video conferencing, smart whiteboards, and diverse applications. These tools foster an environment where ideas flow freely, facilitating diverse perspectives and innovative solutions. You have immediate access to information when you need a problem solved. It means you can tackle challenges super quickly, helping your team sort things out fast and without any hassle. I love Googling, hey, what did this company do to solve this problem? How did this company invent this idea and being able to learn about it immediately? You can use a variety of tools to spark creativity, tools like ChatGPT, Coggle, Poplar, and MindMeister. If you haven't tried them, make sure you do. These aren't just programs, they're like your creative partners. They help your brain come up with fresh ideas, ask interesting questions, and sort out problems super fast. Think of them as your creative toolkit, powering up brainstorm sessions and helping you uncover amazing new ideas. My team also use apps like Slack and WhatsApp. They're not just for chatting casually. They're like the glue that holds our communication together at work. These apps keep us in sync, making teamwork smooth and giving us quick solutions when we need them most. 
This has been brought to you by AT&T. AT&T believes connecting inspires, unites, heals, and helps us grow. Connecting changes how we live our lives for the better. How did she give you the time of day to <laughs> like make you believe that? Because like you said, for a lot of people, yeah, they're they just, and you've been together for a bit now. Yeah, two yeah. years now yeah. coming up. But you know, I just bought a mirror off a small company. It was just, it was just excuses, you know, just an excuse. Like, how am I going to get her to just give me the chance? And I feel like these people that hate me or don't like how I go about things, they just, they won't even give me a chance. They won't even listen because they think that I'm crazy. Mm. And do you think you just, you just started playing the character at one point? Like Definitely. That's, yeah. Well, that's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, money's important. So I knew that that Nick could, that's the one that everyone wanted. They didn't give, they didn't care about how I actually was. They just wanted that one. Like brands just wanted to work with that one. Wow. And that was hard. Like I was like, every time I do something brand wise earlier in my career, I was exhausted. I got home. I was like, thank God that's over. So I could just be myself again and I'd meet people and they would just want that. And how did you know that? Were there people in your like vicinity, like telling you that or like, because that's fascinating, right? Like the construction of talent is something that I think the average person is so separated from. Like yeah. when I moved to LA five years ago, and I coach and work with so many different people in different parts of, whether it's music, acting, athletes, and you start recognizing how their management and their teams want them to be a certain persona, whether it's like, you got to show that you're single because otherwise yep. people, you know, people won't be into you if, yep. if you have a long-term relationship yep. or you've got to be this way so that this brand will want to work with you. How much of that was in your ear? Were you hearing things like that or was it more in your own mind? It was more in my own mind. Right. I think, you know, my team now have only ever wanted me to be happy and be myself. And I know that and that's why I keep them around. I have a really small circle, but I knew that brands just that I knew that they wanted that Nick. And that's, it's, it's sad in a way because they don't even want to get to know me like as me as a person, like we wouldn't even ha sit down and have this conversation with, they just wanted me to be that the one they see on the court, like be the entertaining one. And it's like, I'm not like that. I'm very chilled out. And yeah, I just, I feel like most people just want to meet that one. Yeah. Because it sells tickets. Of course. Gets attention, exactly. gets the headlines. That's right. It makes a moment out of it. Yeah. When was, when was the day where you felt you played that character really well? Like, when would you say you're like, you know what? That was the best acting gig I ever did where. Last year at the US Open was good. Like Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York is the biggest stadium that we have. And it's yeah, crazy. I went, you go, I went this year. You yeah. go to the back and you look up as on the plane. It's just like a wall of people just like glaring down at you. And that's the coolest thing about tennis. There's nowhere to hide. Like if you're playing, if you're having a bad day, you can't sub out. There's no one to play your position. So you're just there. And I just feel like, New York and the Americans, I feel extremely at home here. I feel like they really do enjoy when you put on a show and you do some crazy stuff out there. So every time I was stepping out on that court, it was like, in the, like five minutes before I was in the locker room, I was like, okay, I got to, I got to be more of that Nick tonight because I do appreciate the love that the American fans do give me. But yeah, every match was a bit of a, was a bit of a show. Do you feel differently about different places around the world? You've traveled, of course, as a tennis player, you yep. travel everywhere. How do you feel like when you're in Australia versus when you're in the UK versus when you're in the US? Like walk me through the differences you experience as a player in the media and everything else. Australia, I, I hate playing in Australia. Like that's gonna, if you're gonna air this, obviously that that's gonna, people think that like most Australians love playing in Australia, but there was one kind of moment that ruined it for me. I was playing second round of the Australian Open. I had some match points, it was like a four and a half hour match. 
and I, I'd lost. I'd lost second round. I remember getting booed off the court in Melbourne and that was one of the worst feelings for me because I remember after that match, I was I locked myself in the physio room with my physio and there were just people knocking in on the door like I had to do media, I had to do this and I was just, I turned the lights off and I was just so overwhelmed. Like I'd given my absolute all in front of my my fans for four hours and I lost the match and I just got booed off the court. And for me, that really ruined, that put a sour taste in my mouth playing in Australia. And I know now like I've had some great results in Australia and they have been behind me, but I don't forget things like that. I feel like if I loved someone and I understood the effort and the hours I put in, I would never do that. I'd never boo off one of my hometown heroes. So, and that's why I guess it's affected my relationship with Australia, you know, playing for the country. It's because I've been battered in the media there. Like they've said some horrible things. Like there are some Australian legends that have told me and my family to go back to where we come from. And I, I just don't forget things like that. I've had Leighton Hewitt call me on my phone and say, why don't you want to play for the country? And yeah, everyone here wants you here. And it's like, yeah, but I no no other player in the in the country has dealt with the backlash or the the negativity towards their family, their girlfriend, like me. Like that that hurt. So I guess playing in Australia for me, I don't I don't really like. London, I just don't fit it there at all. Like Wimbledon, it's a crazy feeling. It's like the documentary said it's like a snowman in the desert. It literally is. I walk around there. Everyone's like, oh my God, he's wearing like a, I could be wearing like an anime shirt. They're like, oh, look what he's wearing. Everything I do there is like under a microscope. And that's a, that's a cool feeling. I guess Novak would kind of understand what that feels like too. He's like the villain, you know, it's like no one wants to see you win. No one wants to see, and you made the finals. You have people like Piers Morgan just sh throwing absolute venom at you. And that's why I feel, I love playing the US Open because I feel, wow, this is at home. Like the energy is amazing. And they, they bring that energy that I have and I, I love playing there. So yeah, Australia and England are a bit, I, I don't like playing there, but US, I love it. Yeah. good. To, yeah, I love Asia as well. Asia's amazing. Asia too? Yeah. They just, I think Asia just love entertainment. They love something different and they're, they're respectful. You know, they, I think they get the thing that people are different there, but yeah, I love, I love playing in Asia as well. What would have changed if you were allowed to be nice guy, Nick, from the beginning, like, and, and people perceived you as you actually are like how do you think that would have impacted your game your career the work well the first five years of my career I was almost impossible to get any sort of deal with anyone because they just thought I was volatile crazy they didn't want me representing their brand where I feel like if they knew who I, how I was and actually like a nice guy that would have helped would have I probably would have made a lot more money I probably would have been more at peace with people actually knowing that I was a good guy because for a minute there I thought the whole world thought that I was just a terrible person I feel like it would have helped me. I definitely don't think I would have fell into that dark period of my life as well. But conversely, I don't want to. I don't want to change that because that makes me who I am today. Obviously, I know everyone kind of says that, but when I opened up on social media about it, the amount of people that now open up to me daily, you know, I got people around the world that you know, I give them my number, and I've had phone calls with people and tried to articulate in a way that it's okay like that's completely normal what you're going through but like please keep reaching out to me stay in touch with me if you need any help so that's been the most powerful thing in my career at the end of the day is helping others getting through rough patches of their life all the accomplishments i don't actually care about them i would i, I don't all my people know i don't ever sit there and talk about what i've achieved like i don't really care about it i think that's all a bit superficial but the platform that i have now is amazing what i can do with it yeah it's interesting, isn't it? As a professional, we assume that complete control is a demonstration of brilliance when the reality is that when you're playing something you love, it's natural to be passionate. Yep. And like, I think, I mean, I'm not an athlete, but as in 
even if I'm playing football with my mates, yeah. if I miss a shot, yeah, or someone so. misses a penalty, yeah. I could take it very seriously. Yeah. And I don't see, that's a sign of passion and care and enthusiasm yeah. and energy. It's not a sign of- Oh, not caring. They're not caring yeah. or being angry at someone or being mad at my mate. It's my yeah. mate. He's always going to be my yeah, mate. Yeah. But in that moment, yeah. it's like, dude, you should have put that penalty <laughs> yeah. away, right? And But we've tried to make, comp especially in tennis, yeah. it's almost like there's no space for passion and personality, especially in tennis. Yeah, it's a very look. It's a it's a white privileged sport. So I was again, I was behind the eight ball from the get go. You know, I was coloured, had some, you know, big personality, wore the emotion on my sleeve. So I was always trying to play against so many more people than just so who was down. Beating the best players in the world is already hard enough. You know, the training every day, the diet, the the, the discipline that was already hard. But me, it was like I was playing against millions more people every time I went out on the court. And I think that's why I'm a bit more exhausted than the average tennis player now. When someone goes out there, they're not, they're just playing against who's down the other end. But I was playing against the media. I was playing against, because I knew that every little thing I did was under such a microscope. And even if I had a flawless match, it was like, oh, that's how he should be anyway. But then the minute I did something bad, it was like, oh, here it is. See, that's his true colors. I was like, I couldn't win. I actually couldn't win. And then if I was well behaved and disciplined it was like oh no nah, it's boring so it's like okay which one do you want mm. and that's how i've always felt like on the tennis world that they don't they haven't embraced me and that's why i've got such a big chip on my shoulder now with the tennis world it's like i don't know anyone anyone anything anymore so that's been the biggest it's just been a whole contra like a walking contradiction my entire my entire career it sounds like a lot to carry. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think that's why I fell into that dark space because I knew that I couldn't win no matter what I did. Mm. How does this? I wanted to show you this. Yeah. This one. Take a look at that. It's uh, from the Boss Open, Stuttgart, June 2023, I believe. Don't look happy. Um, yeah, and I was just... Oh, this was when me coming off my knee injury and I had a pretty, pretty serious operation. And I just knew that physically I probably wasn't ready to go. And it's hard because even when I don't play or, you know, even during COVID, I, the tennis world used me as a kind of one of the key marketing points to keep, I guess, the sport afloat whilst during that period. And, and that's been one of the hardest things as well. It's like from a sport that's given me so much negativity and you know, kind of treated me like an outcast, they still use me as, you know, someone that they want to, you know, put on the front cover for, you know, tickets or getting people to be there. So it's like, I know that I just get treated so poorly in the tennis world. It's like, it just, honestly, I look at that photo and I just look like, I'm just spent. Like I just, so much, there's just no energy there. And it's sad because I'm just in front of a camera doing another interview because the tournament needs it. Yet I know that if I, which I did go on to lose that match, got got hate for it so yeah it's hard it's hard it really is are you trying to heal your relationship with tennis and the industry like for yourself in the sense of it almost feels like you have you carry there's validity to this of course like you carry like a sense of like pain and stress and victimhood to the industry because there's been so much pain caused to you is there any part of you that's trying to heal that so that you're not carrying that bitterness towards the industry? I think so much damage has been done from, I guess, because when people ask me, like, if you had your time again, would you ever pick up a racket? And I genuinely have thought about it. And I, I don't think I'd ever play the sport. Like, I don't think I'd ever pick up a tennis racket. And that's such a scary thing because it's like my whole life has been built off tennis. And if I had this 
again, like to go again, I wouldn't play tennis. And I think that's, that's so hard and it's so dark. Like my whole life now revolves around what I've achieved on the court. But then if I could do it again, I, I wouldn't ever want to pick up a racket. And that is like, and I'm genuinely being honest. Like I've had conversations with myself about it, but I don't think I can repair the damage that I guess the sports brought upon me and just anyone. Like the amount of stress that it's put on my family has, you can't heal that. Like, you know, about six months ago, someone came to my house with a gun and, and pointed at my mum to steal my car. And I never thought that I'd bring that up. Like I live in Australia in a nice neighborhood, like where things like that just don't happen. And it's just been hard. Like I never thought I'd deal with things like that. And like the trauma that my mum has now gone through. And yeah, I don't think I can repair my relationship with tennis at all. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah. It's amazing that you've been able to kind of take care of yourself and your family and figure it out. Because a few years ago, I interviewed Dennis Rodman. Mm. And it was one of the toughest interviews I've ever done because he was in a really bad place at the time. I don't know him personally, so I don't know if he's better now or, you know, where he's at. But all I remember was that in that interview, he was, like, I asked him what his purpose in life was. And he said, to survive another day. Like, that's where he was at. And a lot of it was because of how he'd felt treated by the media. Because he was like, you know, yeah. Dennis Rodman was yeah. everywhere when, you know, not only was he successful on the court, but yep. off the court, his whole life was documented in so many yeah. ways. And and he was the wild card too, like yep. in his in in his persona. Yeah. And it's just fascinating to me. Like, it's almost like until someone crashes or until someone burns, we don't realize how heavy yep. media and like I don't think our brains are wired for millions of opinions. No, they're not. To write about us and our performance and our families and our life. And I think the amount of people that are now dealing with that today, who are in the spotlight constantly has only increased. Yep. There are more people in the spotlight and there are more people criticizing people in the spotlight. And I don't think we've ever stopped to think about, and when you're someone is as honest as you, you can only empathize to think, yeah, we don't realize the damage we're doing to people because I don't think it's tennis that you're mad at as a sport, yep. the activity, it's what comes with it yeah. is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, definitely. It's not playing tennis. No, because I, I enjoy it. I think tennis is a great sport and everyone who plays it, I'm like, it's, I can see how it's enjoyable and it's, it's great for you. But yeah, it's more so, I think Kyrie Irving, you know, I love some of his stuff because he says like, I don't think people understand words can actually hurt someone a lot. And I've told, I had, I've said the exact same thing like, fame and social media it's all man-made like it's someone's not supposed to deal like supposed to wake up and then see such negativity feed into their brain constantly every day and like how how do you expect someone to just perform or just survive with that much negativity and you know, I have conversations obviously you wouldn't understand but I have conversations with some of my friends about it no one can understand that because it's like it's not normal. Like you're not supposed to see all that negativity. You're not supposed to deal with it. And I don't know, I guess I've kind of run out of answers or solutions as to how do you deal with that? Like, yeah, you can speak to people about it, but it's so overwhelming. And how do you stop it? And you're right until someone really crashes and burns, then you're like, I think we push it too far, but that's human nature. We all take things for granted and we all don't 
understand our actions until you know there's a reaction but yeah i mean i don't like to word it in the sense that i'm just surviving every day i'm just surviving but it it does feel like that for me like every, that's why everything's a bonus like if i'm here tomorrow and i'm enjoying it i'm eating chipotle and i'm going to watch a lakers game or a clippers game like that's amazing like that's awesome i never thought that i'd still be here doing those things but obviously dennis just couldn't i've obviously articulate any other way like that's how it is that's how it feels like at times and just a bit dark to say it like that but yeah I he guess, was in a dark yeah, place but sure, i guess yeah. that's just what it feels like for me half the time as well what i was saying is it's amazing that you've been able to be more upbeat and yep. kind of positive yep. and and i hope you keep finding that because just from the few moments we spent i could tell you like you like having a good time you yep. like you like smiling you like laughing you like you know like there's a positive energy that surrounds you from the moment you walked into yep. my home today yep. and i hope you always hold on to that because you have that natural ability to make people feel good yeah. and and have a positive energy. And I hope you never lose that because it is seems to be who naturally who you are. Yeah. It's so easy to go down the other track. How have you managed though with your relationship too? Like obviously you're quite public about your yeah. relationship. Like how have you managed to maintain that in a positive way as well? Because that seems to be a positive part of your life, a part yeah. of your life you like sharing, yeah. a lot a part of your life that you were talking about earlier, like but having a relationship in the spotlight is very Brutal. challenging. Yep. So how have you managed to keep that in the spotlight, but then also keep it positive? Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash Healthier Happens Together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Life can be a wild ride, and sometimes our gut gets thrown off track. So that butterfly in your stomach, it's probably not from excitement. It's more likely from stress or certain food choices you had for breakfast. And Ritual can help you get things back on track. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Every morning, I start my day with Symbiotic Plus. It's now an essential part of my daily routine. With its blend of prebiotics, postbiotics, and all that good stuff, I'm giving my gut the love it needs to tackle whatever comes its way throughout the day. There's no shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Shetty. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Shetty. For 25% off. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Whenever I travel, I feel like I become a new person. Like that time I explored the bustling streets of New York, I felt like I became Curious Jay, immersing myself in the vibrant culture and sampling exotic street food. And then there was that trip to the mountains where I transformed into Adventurous Jay, conquering hiking trails and embracing the breathtaking scenery. 
And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to for all my adventures. Whether I'm exploring the bustling streets of New York or venturing into the serene mountains, Booking.com has a wide variety of options, offering accommodations all across the US and all around the world that suit every kind of traveler. So when you're ready to plan your next trip and discover new sides of yourself, remember to book with Booking.com. Whether you're craving adventure in a cabin, a bit of luxury in a fancy hotel, some quality family time in a vacation rental, or just some chill vibes at a beachside resort, Booking.com has you covered. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com, Booking.yeah. Well, I was very, uh, that just comes from experience as well. I've had relationships prior that, you know, were toxic and they didn't end up going well. And I think the thing I love about my relationship now, we have such strong boundaries and respect for each other. Like we don't, and in, with social media and relationships in general, like boundaries can be a bit soft. And I think, you know, my, I come from a background where my parents have been together for nearly you know, 40 years wow. and they're, you know, they're still, they argue and they, they joke with each other. They get on each other's nerves. And, you know, I spoke to my mom about it. She goes, patience is the biggest thing in a relationship where communication and patience. And I think like she, my girlfriend's a bit more, a bit younger than I am, but we've we've sat down we've we've set our boundaries and respect for each other and i think that's why it works because we understand that if being in the spotlight's brutal like for relationships there's always gonna be people trying to tear you down send a message here or there like even liking a photo like these types of things and i've now realized that i have to be diligent with these things because it's a respect thing like on social media i guess that's like who you are in today's day and age is who you are, who are you on Instagram? <laughs> who are you on Twitter? So you have to make sure that you're ticking every box on those sort of platforms. But yeah, and like, and my girlfriend gets it and she listens to me. If I hadn't have all these experiences, she wouldn't listen. So she knows that I've been through a lot and, and she trusts me as well. So she's very, she does listen and we have a great relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The, the boundaries part is so important. It's so important. Yeah. You know, like if I, I always have this example, like, you know, like if, if if she was like pregnant with my kid and my phone just popped up with like you know girls just like liking my photo and stuff like that plays a part I think that builds up you know tension and then it just explodes so you know I try and tick every box and make her feel comfortable and respected and especially it, it's heightened because we're in the spotlight so much so I try and I try and do everything I can to make her feel comfortable yeah no it's uh you know I think it was I remember my wife and I had been together for like three years before no we'd been together for we'd been married for three years and yep. together for six years before we did something together publicly on social media yeah and i felt that that was so important for us because we'd been together for a while yep. but then when social media started to take off for me and and the content that i was making we were just still like finding our foundations yep. and like figuring it out and I can't imagine if we would have been active on social media together yep. in any way earlier than that for us, because I think we, I was just figuring out what it meant for me, then she was figuring out what it meant for yep. her. And I feel like a lot of people, it doesn't matter whether you have a platform or not, we're not having those conversations no. and figuring that out with another human being. Yep. And even now, even till this day, my wife has different priorities on social media and what she wants to share than I do. Yep. And it comes with so many interesting question marks. Like yep. we had someone asking us a question of like, oh, like, well, you post about your relationship, but she doesn't. Like, yep. does that mean there's an issue? Yep, yep, yep. And I was like, 
No, it's just we have different yeah. ways. Like I love sharing about yeah, our relationship. Yeah. She likes keeping it a bit more yeah. private. Like yeah. that doesn't mean that there's an issue. Yeah. But it's so fascinating how everything gets taken out of context. Yeah, I think most relationships, the problems stem from social media. And, you know, I've got friends that have very healthy relationships with different standards on social media, like you said, but... I feel like to give the relationship the best chance of working, you need to see eye to eye on those things because in my previous relationships, the, sta the standards on social media weren't the same and they weren't as respected of both sides and it didn't go well. But here we have, we see eye to eye and I think it's a crucial part of it because it, again, social media, what, what is it? Like I didn't grow up with social, I had a flip phone and, and I remember the first time when Instagram became a thing and it was like, you used to share a picture of a flower and stuff. Now it's like a whole business. Yeah. It's like, it's just evolving and it's changing. So I think you need to have, it's so important to have these conversations because they, unfortunately it plays a huge part in relationships. It does. Yeah. Another thing that came up on social media was your interaction with Drake oh, yeah. that you posted. Did you ever get together? Well, the thing is we didn't, the, our beef was so yeah, yeah, so yeah. ridiculous. Like I was 19 and I just said I came out slow so I'm not going to listen to Drake. And I said it jokingly and then he came out and said, oh, who is this guy? I'll chop him down. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you're five. You're like five, nine. I'm six foot four. <laughs> and, then, um, and then he reached out after Wimbledon and then I, I went back and I would love to. I mean, I would love to get him on, on, on my stuff. But he, I mean, I also respect these guys have so much going on, you know, in, in their life. And if they speak to me or send me a message, that's a bonus. Yeah, you know, it, it, it comes back to all that being a bonus. So I do love his music. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So do I. Yeah, so it's, do good. I. it's good. And, uh, but no, it's funny. But that was, so that was an old conversation. Yeah, an old yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That was funny. That yeah. was funny. No, I mean, I think, I mean, watch it. I think you guys doing a podcast today would be dope. That would be cool. I think it would be really yeah. good. Well, let's cool. put it out there. I yeah, think, yeah. think that would be cool. That would like, be, be, be awesome to watch. No, it's, I, I love what you keep going back to, man. I think it's, you know, I've met so many people who, have achieved incredible things, but they've lost that childlike view of it. They've lost that, not that they've lost gratitude, mm. but they've lost that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Like yeah. that feeling of magic. And yeah. it feels like you've held on to that. that. I think that's the only thing I, like even just driving to your house today, like I was like, this is insane. Like I just, I love, yeah, I just love, like I have utmost respect for everything you've created. Like you must just look back at your journey and be like, wow, like this is sick. And I love reminding people of like, not that they need it, but like, it feels good when someone comes into you and actually is like, dude, well done, like good stuff. Cause I can only imagine how hard you've worked for everything here. And like, I feel like the normal person doesn't really realize how hard someone has to work to achieve all this. You didn't just put your hand into a raffle and pull it out and be like, okay, I'm Jay Shetty now with all this. Like, and I just love making people feel that way. And it's because it's, yeah, we all started from, from, something so small and i think that's so cool and and you still and how you find a way to still let yourself feel that way yeah sometimes i i i like making myself feel good and it's not in an arrogant way it's like i i just think i've done some pretty cool things like you know whether it be on the tennis court or collaborations with people like it's a it's cool and i think for the viewers that are going to watch this like it's not like you just we just started in this position like we were just normal people and we didn't really ask for everything that came with it we we're all trying to figure it all out yeah. what's been your proudest moment off the court i guess anytime i'm with my family and you know we're having a good dinner together we might be eating at a restaurant and just all together just any moment like that for me now is 
the best. I just feel like we were because during that period when I was really unwell, I didn't talk to my family at all. I didn't, you know, speak to them. They, I gave them. I put so much stress on on my family. And now when we meet up and we have a gathering and we're all there and we're just having some good laughs. Like those are the my my favorite moments now. Like the simplest of things are so make me so happy now. Yeah. Do you do a lot together during the holidays coming up? Or? Yeah, we're going to, uh, there's so many, you know, we have the annual Curios Christmas party, like things like this. Tell now. me about that. Tell me about the annual Curios <laughs> Christmas party. So every, every year there's like in Canberra, like three to 400 people come through our house during the night. Three to 400 yeah, people. Yeah. And then they're coming and going. There's always a theme. Like this year it's Gatsby. So everyone's going to be in suits, cigars and stuff. So it's good. Last year was like superheroes, supervillains. Like those types of things now are amazing. Like I can't wait to just see all my loved ones, family and friends. And that's what I look forward to now. And yeah, I guess everything that I achieve is, and then people like ask me that they're like, no, you're just being humble. It's like, no, I genuinely just love simple moments like that. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. What's you were talking about, you've been inspired by the next generation. Walk me through a moment you've had with like a young fan or, or one of those moments that you feel like that stays with you and that keeps you motivated and keep going. Well, I guess my game style is, you know, unorthodox and, you know, I'm playing crazy shots in crazy moments. And when people send me videos of like their young kids playing, they're trying to hit a tweener or they're trying to serve like me, that that's cool. I think someone that I kind of look up to is like Alan Iverson. You look at his basketball game and you look at the culture he left, you know, the way he dressed and his, some of his press conferences are, are hilarious. And I think he had his own style and people wanted to be him. And I think when I when it's all said and done, there's gonna be so many people around the world trying to play like me and play the shot that they're not supposed to play and because it gives them that thrill. So I think if if that carries on at the end of my career, that's that's something pretty special. Yeah, yeah it's very cool. I remember I still remember the Alan Iverson Reebok I Am What I Am adverts. I yep. don't know if you had yep. Reebok back in Australia back yep. then, but in the UK we had these ads and it used to just say I am what I am and Alan Iverson kicked it off. And it stayed with me ever since that day, yeah. even though, you know, I I maybe never didn't even follow the brand or yeah. the sport that much. Yeah. But still it stayed with me. Yeah, he's like the definition of that. Like yeah. I just love his press conference. So good. <laughs> yeah. Cause he was just like a human. He said, like, I cry just like you guys. You know, I'm not the best every day. I don't feel like working. I don't feel like showing up. But and you expect me to do all these things. And I think, yeah, we're just normal people towards athletes or people that you know, have a lot of things going on. Like they just lose a bit of compassion towards those people, I think. Yeah. You've mentioned crying a few times. I was wondering when was the last time that you like really cried or something that really made you cry? I probably could have broken down a couple of times during some of this conversation, but I try not to, um, I try to control it a little bit more these days. I just feel like I used to cry a lot. You know, I've had conversations with my, you know, my mom, um, heaps of people. I feel like I can break down so often just because things are just so raw and they just have, it's like a, if you pull the wrong string, I feel like at any moment in time, I probably could get really emotional. But I, I think we do need to be a bit stronger than that at times. Um, but yeah, I, I, my dad, I draw a lot of strength from my dad. You know, he's, he never cries and he's always, he's like a strong person in our family. So I try and look, I looked up to him a lot with that type of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I used to cry a lot. Yeah. But do you see, do you still see crying as a weakness or you've seen it as a good outlet as well? I mean, you're obviously feeling that way for some reason. I think it's not good to let it in. It's not good to bottle it up. During this conversation, I, I felt like crying and because you've touched on things that are so emotional. And I think that if I don't try and be stronger, then I'm always going to 
you know, someone's going to watch this. Like, I don't want them to think it's like the only way is to open up and cry about it. You can be strong about things. And I still feel like crying. Of course I do. But I feel like I need to be a bit stronger than that. Yeah, that's an interesting, I, I like that kind of nuance because of course I believe it's healthy to cry. Yeah. I think it's necessary to cry sometimes when you yeah. feel a certain way. But at the same time, I agree with you that the ability to know you feel like crying, but keeping it together, not for performance or not for the sake of how other people feel, but you're almost strengthening your ability Definitely. to deal with an emotion yep. is an interesting nuance. Cause I feel like the world used to tell men like you can't cry. Yep. And then it became like, you, you should cry. cry. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then there's like this in between, which yep. is the reality of like, like, I can relate to what you just said, where yep. I'm like, I like crying sometimes. I yep. think it's important. But then there's sometimes where I'm like, no, actually I want to be able to hold myself. Yep. Like I just gave a, it was my sister's wedding like two months ago. Yep. And I didn't anticipate how emotional it yep. was going to be. So my sister's like five years younger than me. Yep. She's been my baby ever since she grew yep, up. Yep, she's yep. a little kid for me. Yep. She's short as well. She's shorter than me. So yep. it's like, she's literally like a child. <laughs> and I knew her wedding was coming up and all the rest of it. You prepped I, yourself for it. I, I kind of prepped myself, but I didn't <laughs> realize how emotional it was going to be. And Indian weddings are like huge. I got, I got, I got, I got a guy. He's he's gonna be watching this for sure. He told me about. He sent me all the videos. Nuts. Yeah, you guys are crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So it was five events over seven days. Yeah, and every event has like three hundred people in it. Yeah, and so we're out there, and I was more emotionally drained. Yeah. after that week than I am for my whole year of like giving and yeah. helping and everything that I do. That was the most emotionally moving week of my entire life. Yeah. And I walked my sister down the aisle. And if you watch the video, I'm literally trying and I'm doing what you just said you had to do. I just had to hold back because yep. I knew if I cry and she sees me cry, then she's going to cry. Then yep. her makeup's going to go bad. Yeah. <laughs> then, then she's going to be mad at me later that I made her cry on her wedding day. Yep. And so I'm holding it back. And then my wife thought about it ahead. She told her, she goes, don't look at him during the wedding ceremony because he's going to be crying. Yep. And so my sister avoided eye contact with the me whole the time. whole ceremony because the whole time I was crying. And it was just fascinating to me because I've probably not cried that much yep. ever in my life. But there were times when I had to hold back for her sake. Yep. And there were times when I let it out. Mm -hmm. And I like that you brought that up because I do think that we've gone from one extreme to the other extreme of men never cry to men should cry all the time yep. to figure out that healthy balance. Yeah, I think it's with anything, like you get injured, you break a bone, it heals, you get stronger. So like, it's not to say that you shouldn't acknowledge the pain or acknowledge crying, but trying to stay strong through those moments, I think is just as important of, of realizing, yeah, you're hurt, you're hurt. And those are touchy topics, but how are you going to, every time someone brings it up, you're just going to cry or are you going to be able to talk about and educate other people that are going through the same thing? You know, I think you've got to be a beacon. Um, and just, yeah, hold it together a little bit. What's your days looking like right now? Like now that you're in your element, you're having a good time, things are opening up, you're doing new creative endeavors. What what does your day look like right now and what are you loving about it? Yeah, well, my team comes with me for these opportunities and obviously like, you know, I, I kind of, it's all insane the fact that I have these options now. And so obviously training is a big part of my day still, you know, obviously rehabbing through, you know, surgeries and, and just maintaining that strength whilst you're not playing is a big thing. You can get pretty you know, relaxed with it and you can lose years of work in, in a couple of months. So, you know, I'm trying to stay on top of that. And then with doing all these things, I feel like I just got a new passion because I, I love communicating with people. I love learning about people and I love helping. 
I just love entertaining, giving the audience something different than what they've seen from me the last 10 years. So just all these types of things, training, you know, seeing the world with my girlfriend is, is, is I know that we're extremely blessed. You know, 95% of relationships, you don't get to travel. You don't get to do the world like we get to do it. So I know that I'm extremely blessed in that department and, and a little 1% of NBA games. I love basketball. <laughs> so yeah. You've been watching? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. watching. We might be going tonight to the game too. Oh, so, nice. So. Who's your team? I'm a Boston Celtic fan. Okay. So okay. being in LA is tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's been the best country you visited or favorite place that you visited, maybe with your girlfriend, even on your own, that that's kind of like left a mark? Well, Australia is the best place in the world. I'm just going to say that. It is. Every person that goes I love going to yeah, us. Yeah. I had the best time. Yeah. Like, out of my whole tour, I had so much fun in Australia. It was yeah. amazing. Australia is the best place yeah. in the world. I, I love the States personally just because of the sport. You guys do sport here like nothing else. Um, but my mum is half Malaysian. I'm half Malaysian. My mum's Malaysian. So every time I go to Malaysia or, you know, any Asian country, I love the food. Like, you know, my mum cooks. I'm not just saying this. My mum is honestly probably one of the best cooks in the world. And I've grown up with such a good food background. So I love, I could live in Asia hands down. Um, but the States, probably someone there. I mean, I'm half Greek. Europe's nice, but Australia's the best place in the world. <laughs> it's the best place in the world. Where in Australia? If someone had to visit, where should they go? What should I mean, they I, I come from Canberra and everyone from Australia thinks Canberra is not a very good place, but I love the simplicity of Canberra. Like it's a very, I love coffee. Like I love the cafe scene. I love just chilling, but Sydney, Melbourne, or even Gold Coast, some of that beautiful places, just such a good lifestyle. They're so safe and you can just do whatever you need to do in Sydney. I mean, Australia in general. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to go back. I, I went for work. Yeah. And I always feel like when you go for work, it's yeah, different. Definitely, of course. And so I was like, I was telling my wife, I was like, we have to go back and just experience it. And I'll right. have to come, come to you for 100%. all the recommendations. Yeah, yeah, we've got a couple of good spots. A yeah. couple of good spots. What would you say now if there's anything keeps you up at night still? Yeah, so I lost my I lost my grandma when I was about 19 after I first broke onto the scene and she was like my best friend through my childhood. Like my mum and my mum was always working. I didn't get to see much of my mum. Like my grandma picked me up from school, dropped me to trainings. We slept in the same room together. We had bunk beds. Like we were like best friends. And she kind of passed away when things started to get a bit crazy for me in my career, like media and you know, I probably didn't spend as enough time with her that I would have liked and I think back to when you know, we, she was in a nursing home towards the end of her life. And I feel like that kind of really bothers me. I feel like tennis took time away, not tennis itself, like you said, the sport, just everything that came with it mm. took special time away that I should have had with her. And I was so young and naive to say to these people, no, I don't want to do it. Like it was like the time where, you know, money was coming in for my family. I was changing my entire family's life. So I felt like that that sits with me and that's painful because she was my best friend and she, I guess she maybe understood it, maybe she didn't. So I feel like if I could spend some more time with her instead of doing media or an interview or business or something like that, I guess I wish I could have more time with her, but hopefully she's up there watching and, and proud of everything that I'm doing now. And but yeah, I guess that I think about that, you know, all the time. Mm, that's, that's, that's a tough one when you can't, do anything about it now. You can't like, change it. Yeah, you can't change it. Those are the ones that are like, you know, it's it's tough thinking you could have done more. And, and you're so young too. And like your career is taking off. Yeah. Like it's so forgivable in that sense. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, how would you know at 19 what to prioritize and what to focus on? And you're living the dream in one sense. And like you said, you're changing your family's life. It's, it's hard, it's hard to deal with that. And I guess, 
would you say it doesn't sound like that's a regret though it does it sounds like it's something that's kind of yeah i think i used to think it was like i used to really be upset about it and i i was regretful of doing everything that came with it i was like i hated tennis i hated everything that came around it because i was like we just i just kind of i didn't leave her but i kind of just didn't spend as much time as i used to spend with her so now i've come to understand it like i was young i didn't i wasn't educated on you know these things that i had to be doing so I, I guess i've been a bit nicer to myself on that on that topic but i still think about it like i unfairly think about it at night time yeah, yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's amazing how the mind works right like you can literally avoid something the whole day yep. and somehow at it night back, it comes, comes back, back. yeah and it just like almost like on clockwork like on yep. time yeah it's so fascinating how have you, have you found a way of switching those thoughts off or? um i guess i just realized now that that's just more love and more time that I wanted with her. So I'll try and look at it as a positive. Like, why am I always thinking about this moment? Why is it always coming up? It's just because she meant a lot to me. And that's, you know, I have so much more stuff that I wish I could just sit down with her now and speak about everything that's been going on. And, you know, she would love it. She was the ultimate jokester in our family. She had, she was just a free spirit. And I feel like that's where I get some of my personality from on the court. So if I could just sit down with her now and just, chat about things would be amazing and i guess that's what i just try and turn into a positive like she i just got so much stuff that i want to talk to her about and i feel like yeah if, if she was here during that dark time i don't i think i would have got through it a lot easier but yeah i guess i just turn it into a positive mm. today healthier is happening at cvs health in more ways than you've ever seen it's wellness destinations for seniors including select locations with oak street health and cvs pharmacy it's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Life can be a wild ride and sometimes our gut gets thrown off track. So that butterfly in your stomach, it's probably not from excitement. It's more likely from stress or certain food choices you had for breakfast. And Ritual can help you get things back on track. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Every morning, I start my day with Symbiotic Plus. It's now an essential part of my daily routine. With its blend of prebiotics, postbiotics, and all that good stuff, I'm giving my gut the love it needs to tackle whatever comes its way throughout the day. There's no shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Shetty. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Shetty for 25% off. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Whenever I travel, I feel like I become a new person. Like that time I explored the bustling streets of New York, I felt like I became curious, Jay. Immersing myself in the vibrant culture and sampling exotic street food. And then there was that trip to the mountains where I transformed into Adventurous Jay, conquering hiking trails and embracing the breathtaking scenery. 
And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to for all my adventures. Whether I'm exploring the bustling streets of New York or venturing into the serene mountains, Booking.com has a wide variety of options, offering accommodations all across the US and all around the world that suit every kind of traveler. So when you're ready to plan your next trip and discover new sides of yourself, remember to book with Booking.com. Whether you're craving adventure in a cabin, a bit of luxury in a fancy hotel, some quality family time in a vacation rental, or just some chill vibes at a beachside resort, Booking.com has you covered. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com, Booking.yeah. Yeah, there's there's also you've said that, you know, after the Wimbledon game with Djokovic, you, you felt like you could have won it. And there was a feeling like yep. you could have done that. That could have been it. How much does that play on your mind? A lot that I was two sets away from winning Wimbledon. And, you know, if I played anyone else on planet that day, I felt like I would have won. So, yeah, I mean, now I'm at peace with it. But for the f- three to four months after, that was like an everyday. It was like not just a nighttime thing. It was like, sh- what could I have done differently? Every time I was in the gym, every time I was on court, like why didn't I, you know, that was my opportunity. Why didn't I just grab it? But now I understand like the more he achieves now, the more I'm nice. I'm like, okay, no, no everyone's trying to still figure this out. But um, yeah, I mean, look, nine, more than 99% of the world hasn't figured out how to beat him on a, on a consistent basis. So I can't be too angry about it. Yeah, I like that perspective. Yeah, like, that's, that's a good mindset yeah, to have. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's so interesting, right? Like I can totally empathize with that idea of how you can be so harsh and heavy on yourself for like three to four months because you can overanalyze. How have you mastered the art of limiting overanalysis? Or what have you learned about stopping overanalysis to the point that it becomes a weakness? Well, tennis is a, is a sport where you have to be a good loser because every week you're, you're losing. Unless you're one of these top guys who's winning consecutive tournaments, you're experiencing a loss every week. And you just have to pick yourself up and go again in a different country, different surface, different time zone. So you just have to just be really good at understanding what you've done wrong, moving on and just going again. Because one week, one to two weeks in tennis can change your life. You can have 30 bad weeks in a row. The minute you have one really good result, things change for you. So you have to, that's what I love about tennis. You have to learn to bounce back quickly. And I think it's, that's a life lesson. Like you're going to experience ups and downs. Things are going to be horrific for a couple of months they might be great so it's like riding the wave and being kind of equal through everything and just backing up and going again consistency is you learn that from tennis so early on which is cool i like that yeah where other sports you have an off season so you have like a period of time to say well what do i need to get better at? i can get stronger with tennis there's no off season it's like every week there's a new tournament so you can't be too down when you lose and then when you win it's like but well, you're playing tomorrow so you got to just start again yeah what's something in life that you've had to learn the hard way um hmm. that's hard yeah take your time i don't know let me ask you that question what's something i've had to learn the hard way here's a hard question so let me take a second to that no one's coming to save me that no one no one magic person is going to discover my abilities, my qualities, and help me become the best version of myself, that there's not going to be one person who just 
just activates it all. You activates could, it all and makes it easier and shows yeah. me the path and yeah. clears all the, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. clears all the obstacles and says, Jay, yeah. just walk this way. Yeah. And like when you put something in, in an iPhone maps and it tells you which direction to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like yeah. someone who's going to come and show you the map yeah. of life. And no matter how much someone cares or doesn't care, it's, that's not there. And I think I've, I think I just had this inbuilt belief since I was young that someone else was going to discover me and help me. Yep. And it was only when I realized that that person was me that life became easier. But it took me a long time to learn that. And, you know, they talk about it in dating, especially for the way women were raised, but it's called the Disney princess syndrome. This idea of like how Disney made young women believe that one day your knight in shining armor yeah. will come and save you yeah. and there'll be this perfect guy yeah. who has everything figured out and you'll kiss a frog and he'll become a prince and yeah. all these ideas. And I think we all carry that in some way. So yeah. I think that's been really hard for me. And I think the other one was what we were talking about earlier. Like, I think something I've had to learn the hard way is I deeply believed that when I achieve a certain level of success, that everyone will like me. Yep. Or that when I make it to this level, that everyone will recognize my struggle and my pain and everyone will acknowledge how hard I've worked. Yeah, I guess that's that's probably been my biggest one. Like I, w I wish people, like when I meet new people, that they just, like how I am with people that have achieved things, I'm so grateful, I'm so like, proud of them in a way and i don't even know these people but i'm like wow you must have worked really hard like that for me is like i wish people would give me more uh, just maybe a little bit more credit from time to time you know just of some of the things that it it's been hard it hasn't been like an easy journey at all for me and for, for, for i'm sure anyone in a position of achieving things it's been so hard yeah and that could be anything, right? Like, I think we're talking about everyone. Every, everyone. everyone. Just like, anyone. If you're someone who's just figuring out how to pay the bills for your yeah. family or you're taking care of like your Like, you kids. deserve a little pat on the back. You deserve to just sit down and be made to feel good a little bit about things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost weird because we think of that as cheesy. Yeah. That we think of that as like, I'll get over it. Like, yeah. you know, just, but I feel like we all need, me and my friend talk about this, my, my best man at my wedding, like my best mate. We talk about this a lot about how we all need a sense of acknowledgement yep. and recognition for what we're doing. Yep. And a lot of the time that's seen as like soft or it's yep. seen as like, oh, you shouldn't need that, like get over it. I think it's motivating. Like I think it makes you want to achieve more when people recognize, okay, you're doing really well, you're on the right track, keep going. It's not like, it's not arrogant, I think, to just sit down and recognize that I've come a long way, I'm on the right track and what I'm doing is very special. I think that could be motivating in a way rather than seen as like soft or why do you need credit for that? Like, it's like, you're not doing things that every single person is doing. Like that you're doing, obviously something about you is special. Your, your, you know, your details are, you're ticking everything off the box. Like that's, you shouldn't need acknowledgement for that. Yeah. What's a, is there, is there a moment that you wish you had acted differently in a press conference or in a game a moment where you look back and think, you know what, actually I'm better than that. And I'm, I'm such a, I'm a nice guy. I'm, that's yeah. not me. Yeah. That was so far from who I am that yeah. I actually don't feel good about. Yeah. That. I've had so many moments like that. I mean, I could go on YouTube now and I guess the thing about tennis is when you finish a match, you only have, you, you have to do media like so soon to when finishing. So you haven't had time to digest any sort of emotions. So you go in there 
with, and the thing about it now with me, I walk into a room with about 50 people all ready to attack me. They're not actually going to ask me about, oh, how did the match play out? They're going to just nitpick and come at me in an aggressive way. And I haven't had time to digest. I've, I haven't even eaten after four hours sometimes. And then when I did that time on Piers Morgan, he's like, this guy's so rude. He's so, such, so disrespectful. I played for four and a half hours. I needed to eat some food because for my nutrition and my preparation. So it's like, I walk in there and I have had no time to digest. I haven't, and then these people are just going at me, and then I retaliate. And for me, oh, I'm not that. That that's fine. You should be able to retaliate. But then I look back at all the people that are watching this, kids, and they see I could be disrespectful to someone that I don't even want to be that. But in that moment, I just haven't had any time to just reflect on what's just happened. And I feel like, yeah, I do. I do regret sometimes on how I've acted on the tennis court or in a press conference. Because it's it's not that version of Nick Kyrgios that I want people to, like millions of people to watch and say, oh, that's how he is. What a prick. You know what I mean? But that's not me. And Australians in general, we have a bit of that, like where if you come at us, we'll, we'll retaliate in a way of, you know, we'll make you feel it too. And I guess that my upbringing where, you know, the bullying and stuff, I've always had that chip on shoulder where I'm in a position to give it, I'll give it a little bit, you know? So I don't feel proud of making other people feel bad and... I think that's just more of a retaliation of I know how much it hurts, so now I'm going to give it back to you a little bit. And that's not that's not a good thing to do, especially after, you know, in a press conference where millions of people are going to see it. Yeah. See, I definitely have some regrets with that, yeah. Yeah, especially when it's not you. It's not me, yeah. I think, that's, just, the, I think that's the hardest part, right? Like when something's you, there's a certain understanding that you have with it. But when you feel like that's not me, yeah. like I, I, I can empathize with that. Like if in any conversation or anything that I've done, more offline where I've not acted like myself, it's almost the hardest thing in the world because I'm like, yep. God, now I've shown someone a side of me that's not me. Exactly. And then and, they, they run with it. They're like, oh, look, the look how he is. Yeah. And I'm like, that was like a 10-minute press conference, you know? Yeah. It's not even at all of what I actually, what kind of pe person I am at all. So, yeah, yeah it's, that's, been, that's been hard. And it's interesting, by the way, it is interesting to understand the context of you're playing for four and a half hours, you haven't eaten... Like, it's good to know, well, you know, like yeah. the human side of like, if you're watching a press conference, you're not thinking it through that deeply. No, you're not. Yeah. You're just like, oh, this guy just come off the court, yeah. like yeah. whatever, like, yeah. he's, you know, it's what we do. And it's interesting because I'm like, yeah, if I was hungry for four and a half hours yeah. and I've just played and I get asked a question that annoys yeah. me, yeah. I can imagine retaliating yeah. too and being defensive. Like, exactly. If, if the player had, you know, if you came back into the tennis courts the next day and had a whole night to reflect on the match moments where you were great moments where you weren't you could just speak calmer about the situation it's like when couples have a fight sometimes having figuring it out then and there is not the best thing you know you need some time away you need to reflect you need to have a conversation and come back and when you're both calmer like rather than when the emotions are high you just turns into an absolute explosion so yeah i mean that's the same thing yeah and you're not walk i'm not walking into a room where they're em empathetic that i lost they're like oh why'd you lose for why jack like this it's like okay you you attacking me now i'm gonna go back at you and then yeah, yeah so yeah and it's the trap it's, it is it's the game exactly. they want to play the, yeah. that's the articles and the headlines they want it's the game they want to play so, yeah who is that who is the basketball player who had a really good response was it yanis oh he's, yeah and yeah. he's like do you you know if you don't get a promotion do you see that as a bad year like, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. everything's building yeah to, you know losing is not always seen as a failure why is that so yeah, I agree. Yeah. No, it was. What is the joy? Tell me, tell me how it feels. Yep. To break a racket, like how how does that feel? It does feel good. It does so, feel good, so, doesn't it? It does feel good. <laughs> Sometimes it feels yeah. good. When yeah. does it? When does it feel good, and when does it not feel good? I guess it doesn't feel good when I know it's detrimental to 
what's going on. If Look, when I know when I get to that level of anger, I know that it's not helping me. But sometimes, you know, if I've lost the match and, you know, the, the match is over and I go to my bag and I see it there and I know that I've got all this anger built up and I let loose, it does feel good. The timing of doing those things can help your performance or, you know, because sometimes I've seen in my experience, but other athletes like Djokovic and Serena Williams, all these legends of broken rackets, but the response after that's the key component. And sometimes you need to let off the steam because you're expecting more from yourself. And I feel like the response, if you're going to come back with energy and, you know, say, all right, I did that. Now it's time to reset that. It can actually help you in a way. Walk us through the balance of when anger is helpful versus when it becomes destructive well, as the way you found it. Because I've been angry where I've broken rackets and then I become, you know, smart ass with the umpire. And then I'm, I'm actually not concentrating on what I need to do to win the match. It's like I'm more pissed off at myself. I'm more pissed off at the umpire. Where I've had times where if I break a racket and, you know, I walk back to my bag and I'm like, all right, here we go. You've, you've done that now. You know, it's time to reset. You know, we, we're not playing well, but now how are we going to change that? So I feel like the discipline of doing, and these great players have shown that and they start playing better and they end up winning the match. So it's hard because you don't want to make it seem like a violent act because then kids are going to be like, oh, it's okay to throw rackets. It's okay to, but that's why I think the response after that's more important. It's like, okay, he did that, but then he started playing unbelievable. So something must have clicked in his head after he did that. So I guess it can be positive, but you don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, smash all the rackets in the world. No, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that, that's a, that's a thoughtful response. Like I, I can appreciate that. Like, I can definitely see how getting that kind of competitive spirit out yep. in a physical act can be like helpful. Yeah. I, can, I can recognize that. Yeah. And unless it hurts someone else, which yep. it isn't. Exactly. And so it's it's interesting how, like you're saying, like the greats do it often. Yeah. But the response is like how how did how did that help you process things? Yeah. Versus how did it lead it's you like down a, it's a like a complete hole. reset almost yeah. so yeah and yeah. I've, I've seen it all the time like i've seen Djokovic, alcaraz serena do these things and it's like okay they realize they're not playing up to their standard and they go back and you see them breathing and then there's like they've done that it's like a it's like they've reached the limit of playing really bad and now yeah. it's time to switch that yeah so yeah. it's good yeah. i mean it can it can be used as a reset yeah how much has meditation and breathing or mindfulness been a part of your world or is that something you're discovering or you've been practicing for a while? Oh, I'm just, a, I'm a, I'm in complete work in progress. Like people think that I've got my stuff figured out and you know, I have a nice routine. Like people don't realize that having a routine is harder than doing something different and having stimulation every day. That's easy. Like having, waking up and doing something different is so easy every day, but can you get up week in, week out, monthly, yearly doing the same routine, having the discipline? Like that's, having a routine for me is, probably the hardest thing ever. And that's been my weakness in my career is consistency. Okay, he played great that week, but can he show up? And I haven't proven, I guess that's what I haven't proven is I've been consistent enough to make it this far, but am I consistent enough to be a champion? Probably not. And I know that. So I think I'm just a work in progress, whether it's meditation, whether it's breathing. Like I started Pilates like two months ago. I never thought that I'd ever start Pilates. Like when my girlfriend went to Pilates, I'm like, I started laughing. I started doing it. I'm like, oh my God, this, this is hard. This is hard as. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out like breathing for me is a big one when I'm on court. I, I, I really am mindful of my breathing, but am I, I don't even think I'm at that point of discipline or consistency yet to meditate. I can't even, I hate being alone with my thoughts still. Uh, I still have extremely dark thoughts. So I think I just try with easy, you know, consistent habits, you know, go for a walk to get a coffee in the morning with my girlfriend or, 
you know, just these lighter things. Um, having a routine for me is incredibly hard still. And people with routine think, oh, they're boring. No, no they're just cons- they're really disciplined and consistent with their work, and that's that's really healthy. Routines and disciplines are, I mean, yeah, they're so hard to build. So hard, so hard to build. Easy to break. Yep. So easy to fall off. So hard to get back on. Yeah. And so powerful when you get them right. Yeah. And yeah, anyone who can keep a discipline together every day is, it's 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 a serious achievement. It is. What what's the most difficult emotion or thought that you deal with regularly still, or an emotion or thought you struggle to deal with still? Um, that I'm not enough. I think that was the biggest one. I think I I struggled with was I'm letting people down and I'm not enough. And that's from you know, millions and millions of opinions that have just built up over time. And I, I can see, you know, when I lose a tennis match or when I don't achieve things, I can see sometimes my, even my family get disappointed. And that's just, it just ate me up for so long. Like going on social media saying, cause I was supposed to be the next, per- after the big three, it was like, okay, Kyrgios is going to take over the mantle. He's going to be the one for 15 years, you know, being professional, winning grand slams. And I think I look back on my career and I didn't even get close not even a quarter of what people thought that I should have achieved um with the talent that I have and I still deal with it it's like I'm never going to achieve what all these people thought I was going to achieve but I've had tough conversations with myself in the mirror saying like am I okay with not maybe winning a grand slam am I okay with not achieving you know I am I, I I I'm okay with that but it's still hard because it's like I know that my family would love that like they maybe would they they would prefer me being that type of champion or this person and I really did struggle with that early on. Like, it's it's hard. Everyone wants you to be something that you're not. But the one thing that they kind of understand more is that I'm happier being this this way. I'm I'm happier just being myself and having some fun and and just doing it my way. And that's that's I'm so thankful that the most important people are they can just understand. I'm not saying that they that's what they want, but that at least they can understand it now. But yeah, that's been that was the hardest thing I think for me. Mm, that makes sense, Nick. You've been incredible, man. This has appreciate been uh, what I really appreciate about you is the genuine, authentic, raw, real answers. Like I can tell when I'm sitting with you, I'm listening to someone who's not. It's interesting in a press conference. It seems like you don't filter the combativeness. Yep. And today I'm like, you're not filtering to make yourself look a different way or appear a different way. You're just being who you are. And I really yeah. appreciate that because I think we all need to, to make sense of it. And I think a lot of us who are struggling with that feeling of not being enough or not living up to the expectations of our family or not having achieved the goals that everyone else thought we'd set out to, I think that's more of us in life than the people who go on to achieve everything. And the interesting thing is even the people that go on to achieve everything that everyone wanted them to, they're not happy either because they often find that they went and won at things that they didn't care about. They lost themselves. Then they lost themselves. And so I know that this is going to resonate with a lot of people, but as you know, we end every On Purpose episode with a final five. These questions have to be answered in one word to one sentence maximum. Okay. And so Nick Kyrgios, these are your final five. The first question is, what is the best advice you've ever heard or received? Uh, it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems. Mm. Who said that? Where did you learn that? So Simon, no, he was one of my tennis coaches and I feel like 
we, there was, that was very tennis specific because when I was on court, I had the talent to like amaze millions of people. But I always went on court and tried to do that where he was like, you don't have to do that. These people are paid to come watch you play just because of how you just are. So I always was like, okay, maybe I don't have to try as hard. And then when I was playing bad, he, th I, I used to think I was playing horrific, but then he was like, you're bad for most people is still amazing. So it's not that bad. And then I started carrying that to everyday life. Like when I was having some really bad moments and everyone thinks when they're going through a struggle, they're like, Fuck, this is the worst part of my life. And I'm like, this is not the worst part of your life. It's just going through a bad phase. So that's why I'm never too high anymore with some amazing achievements. Like when I finals of Wimbledon to most people was, is an amazing achievement. And it is, but I wasn't like, it's like I carry my trophy everywhere with me. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I may find like, you know, I just, you know, it's an amazing achievement and it's, it's, it's in the past now. So I think just being able to ride the, the highs and the lows the same, I think when you're able to do that, it's, you can just navigate through life a little easier. And, you know, that's, the, that's actually the quote above the Wimbledon court is when, when, when you can look at a victory and a loss the same way, that's when you've, you know, conquered life a little bit. So I think, wow. yeah, that's like the final thing you see above the court as it's opening up. I'm not sure that's the exact quote, but it's along those lines. So that quote there is very similar to that. You know, it's never as bad as it seems, it's never as good as it seems. Nice. I love that. Uh, second question, what is the worst advice you've ever heard or received? It's not that simple. I don't like, I think about, when I've had my success, you know, I've eaten healthy, I've been active and I've just worked hard. Those it's, it, it really is simple for everyone. I think if you just break it down into nice, simple categories, you're going to get the best out of yourself and, you, and you're going to have success, whatever, whatever that is. Success is different for everyone, but it's not that simple. Uh, the amount of times I heard that in school, in, from tennis coaches, from everything, it, it really, if, if they told me it's simple, like do these things and you'll probably get the best out of yourself. So yeah, it's not that simple. I hate it. I hated hearing it because it really was to <laughs> yeah, get in my it position. Is. It is quite simple. Yeah, it's it's hard, yeah. but the the steps to getting it, it's it's actually very simple. Yeah, it's not easy, but yeah. it's simple. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I would agree. Uh, question number three: What's something that you've been trying to unlearn? Oh, that's a t that's a hard one because I've had to unlearn nearly everything that I thought. Like, cause you know, I meet so many people. I'm not really following your rules of keeping it short, am I? That's cool, man. It's good. They're good answers. But, um, a lot, you know, I've met so many people and I thought that I'd meet a lot of, I thought I'd meet a lot of cool people and good, genuine people on the way, but I've been really disappointed. I feel like I feel being in our position, it's hard. Every time you meet someone, you don't know if anyone genuinely wants to be your friend or hang out with you or, you know, go to dinner with you because we're good people or is this, do you want to just be around us because of, and that's just a common struggle. I think that I deal with every day. I really do struggle with that because I'm a genuine person. I only want to hang out with you if I think you're yeah, cool yeah. and you're, you got a good heart. So I think I, I, I thought that a lot of people, I'm trying to unlearn that everyone has good intentions. I felt like everyone should have that and everyone doesn't. Mm. That's yeah. And that's a hard one. That's a really hard one. And I, I can resonate with that too. I think sometimes it's really interesting, right? Like when you're, I feel like sometimes if I get along with someone or I feel like a natural sense of yeah. chemistry with someone, I can come on quite strong, but I'm yeah. just being who yeah. I am and yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like I'll be like to someone, hey, we should hang out yeah. or whatever. I'm exactly like that. And, and I like living that way because yeah. to me, that's how I've made some of my best friends. If yeah. I wasn't like that. Yeah, you're chances, sheltered. How are you going to experience like 
the good times. Totally. And yeah. and I've opened myself up to that. And sometimes people are like, oh, man, maybe he has something that he wants. Yeah. Or like, I'm like, no, not really. Yeah. I'm just, that's yeah. just who I am. Just, that's how I was raised. You just feel good. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I, I can relate to that. All right. Question number four. A rule everyone should break and a rule everyone should follow. Mm. I prefer the follow one, I think. <laughs> Go on. Mm. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give that to you. I can't answer The rule it. everyone should break? Yeah. I actually, I can't answer it. I've never asked it before. I just got inspired to ask it to you. A rule everyone should break. I'm just trying to think of rules that the world sets that yes. we think everyone should break. And so let me think of a rule. The way I would think about it is what are rules that we were all told, like even unwritten rules that we all heard since we were young, that now I look at it and I go, ah, we should break that rule. And you expected me to, to think, answer the question. And you, no, you're the, you, no, no, no. I, I want to give a genuine answer because I know, yeah, but yeah, you're yeah, so, the yeah, way yeah. You, you have answers to pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, I like to be thoughtful because it literally, I came up with that question right now just for yeah. you. Like it, it was a moment thing. It wasn't a, the, I would say that like an unwritten rule or like a rule that I think everyone was told to follow was like, I feel like when you were growing up, yep. you were told to fit in. Yes. And then when you get older, you're told to stand out. Yeah. Right? It's like if you want to be successful when you're a kid, fit yep. in. Yeah. Wear the uniform, stand in line, yep. do well in school. It's like everyone's told to fit in. Yeah. And then as you get older, if you want to win at whatever yep. career path, you gotta be authentic. Like, you gotta be different. You gotta be authentic. Yep. It's like, wait a minute. And so instead of fitting in or trying to stand out, the rule to break is to say, well, I'm not going to fit in or I'm not going to stand out. I am just going to learn to discover myself. Yep. And I think it's not even about being you. I think that's the cheesy answer of like, just be yourself. Yep. I don't think it's about being yourself. I think it's about discovering yourself yep. and getting to know yourself. Yep. And so the rule we need to break is stop trying to fit in or stand out. Just get to know yourself. Yep. I think just that figure feels, it out. Yeah, just figure it out is what comes to mind anyway. So I like it. Yeah, we'll, like go, it. we'll go with that. You just keep flipping them back on. Yeah. I like it. It's smart. It's a good tactic. <laughs> it is, it is. It's good PR training. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a masterclass in PR training it from, from uh, Nick. Uh, fifth and final question. If you could create one law, we ask this to every guest of all time. If you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, <sighs> what would it be? Before you criticize someone, you have to do what they do for one day. So like if someone criticizes my tennis game, they need to get on the court and try and play. Or like if I was criticizing someone that I had to go, I think that should be a law before you, if, if you're willing to criticize, then you're going to be that person for one day and deal with everything that they, that person deals with. That is a brilliant answer. I love that. We yeah. never had that on the show and I love that. Yeah. That would be amazing. If you actually became that person, person for, for a day, day, you had to swap lives. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone you judged or criticized, yeah. you had to swap lives with them yeah. for one, one day. day. Yeah. That would be phenomenal. And it's not like a, it's not like a holiday. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a business day. It's not, yeah, it's it's not, not like a party, yeah. like a Saturday night going on. No, it's like the, the working day. Yeah. Because I then I, I would think, I would think twice. Yeah. Like I, I've criticized basketball players, anyone. I'd be like, oh, you all right. And then it's like, all right, you want to do the day thing? Oh, actually, no, I'm good. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people in my position would, like they would freak out. I think if I had to go out and play a match in front of the stadiums, then do the press conference and then deal with the criticism and they had to real like feel the realness of it all, mm -hmm. they wouldn't want to criticize again. Yeah. I like that law, man. Yeah. Like that's a that good law. law. It is a good law. It's a good law. 
Nick Kiros, Nick, this Thank has been you. such a joy and pleasure, man. Appreciate it. You totally over-delivered. And for what it's worth, from the moment we started messaging to meeting you today, to having this conversation, you're a genuinely nice guy, man. I appreciate and, uh, that. Thank you. And uh, I've enjoyed every minute we've spent together. Thank and you. I look forward to many more. Thank genuinely, you. Genuinely. It'll be fun. Man. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. Thank you, man. Of course. If you love this episode, you'll love my interview with Kobe Bryant on how to be strategic and obsessive to find your purpose. Our children have become less imaginative about how to problem solve, and parents and coaches have become more directive in trying to tell them how to behave versus teaching them how to behave. I couldn't be more excited to share something truly special with all you tea lovers out there. And even if you don't love tea, if you love refreshing, rejuvenating, refueling sodas that are good for you, listen to this. Radhi and I poured our hearts into creating Juni Sparkling Tea with adaptogens for you because we believe in nurturing your body and with every sip, you'll experience calmness of mind, a refreshing vitality, and a burst of brightness to your day. Juni is infused with adaptogens that are amazing natural substances that act like superheroes for your body to help you adapt to stress and find balance in your busy life. Our Super 5 blend of these powerful ingredients include green tea, ashwagandha, acerola cherry, and lion's mane mushroom, and these may help boost your metabolism, give you a natural kick of caffeine, combat stress, pack your body with antioxidants, and stimulate brain function. Even better, Juni has zero sugar and only five calories per can. We believe in nurturing and energizing your body while enjoying a truly delicious and refreshing drink. So visit drinkjuni.com today to elevate your wellness journey and use code ONPURPOSE to receive 15% off your first order. That's drinkjuni.com and make sure you use the code ONPURPOSE. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For all the parents out there, picture that it's bedtime. You and the kids have been busy all day. You know they're tired, but for some reason, they just won't go to sleep. And for this reason, I created the podcast Bedtime History. Bedtime History is a series of relaxing history stories that end with an inspirational message. With over 2,000 positive parent reviews, Bedtime History is one of the top education podcasts. Join me and listen to Bedtime History every Monday and Thursday on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.